Welcome to the Purpose Inspired Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Visser, and this season is based on my book, Thriving, the Breakthrough Movement to Regenerate Nature, Society, and the Economy. Let's get to it. of circularity. Second key to thriving is circularity. Nature and society, as with all living systems, are characterized by flows. It's no accident that enforced self-isolation and restricted movement during COVID-19 times made us anxious, frustrated, bored and stressed. Complex living systems are not designed to be static. Energy, materials and organisms all flow and interact through the system, keeping it alive. Living systems need borders as well, membranes in biological terms, but these are porous by design, allowing exchange with the surrounding environment. Similarly, our social systems, from families to countries, and our natural systems, from gardens to biomes, should be designed for dynamic flows. Unfortunately, we're not that good at understanding and keeping track of flows in our economies, societies and ecosystems. If I use the analogy of a bathtub, in society we are often focused on the level of the water, which system scientists call stocks, rather than the water coming in from the tap or leaving through the drain, which are the flows. For example, we look at how much fresh water we have today, rather than the rate at which it is being depleted or replenished, or we focus on how many women are in the workforce, rather than whether the gender pay gap is increasing or decreasing. The most obvious example of bathtub thinking is that we must decrease the use of non-renewable resources, such as fossil fuels, minerals and groundwater, and switch to mainly consuming renewable resources. That's because in nature everything is recycled. Paul Hawken articulated this rather elegantly in his classic book, The Ecology of Commerce, when he noted three ecological principles. One, waste equals food. Two, all growth is driven by solar energy. And three, the overall well-being of the system depends on diversity and thrives on difference. The key of circularity was already foreseen in the 1960s by Kenneth Boulding, Barbara Ward and Buckminster Fuller, who wrote about Spaceship Earth, a closed system where a problem for one is a problem for all, and where resources are finite and must be continually recycled. Interestingly, Boulding, an economist, contrasted the spaceship economy, which exists, and I quote, without unlimited reservoirs of anything, either for extraction or for pollution, and in which, therefore, man must find his place in a cyclical ecological system, end quote, with the cowboy economy, where the cowboy is symbolic of the illimitable plains and associated with reckless, exploitative and violent behaviour. 
Without the ecological principle of circularity, the earth would collapse under its own weight. To illustrate, imagine if the 10,000 acorns and 200,000 leaves that a mature oak tree produces every year were not biodegradable. Very few acorns become new oak trees, so within a decade we would be wading knee-deep in leaves and acorns. Now let's scale that idea up. The Earth's total living biomass, that's the sum of all living materials, has been estimated at 1.1 trillion tonnes. Think of what would happen if all of that material simply accumulated year after year, rather than being broken down and recycled back into food for nature's processes and organisms. As it happens, we do not need to imagine this scenario. In recent times, human-made materials, which scientists have called anthropogenic mass, have been doubling roughly every 20 years. This is because, on average, each person produces anthropogenic mass equal to more than his or her own body weight every week. In 2020, for the first time, the total anthropogenic mass surpassed all global living biomass. The problem is that much of what we are producing is not biodegradable. Rather than being food for nature's cycles, our manufactured plastics, chemicals and heavy metals are toxic for life. Another key element of circularity in systems is the existence of feedback loops, which are processes that cycle back on themselves to either reinforce or diminish the original effect. Unless we identify, understand and respond to these feedback loops, we can find ourselves with exponential growth and system collapse. More than 10 years ago, climate scientists identified numerous climate change tipping points. Each of these, of which there are now 16, creates a self-reinforcing feedback loop in the climate system that perpetuates global warming. To illustrate further, the fires blazing that have devastated the Amazon, Australia, Turkey, Europe and California in recent years are a worrying sign of a climate change tipping point. In the case of the Amazon, climate change dries out the rainforest, which results in more fires, which release carbon into the atmosphere and also reduce carbon absorption by the forest, resulting in more climate warming. It's a dangerous, vicious cycle. There was a time when such economic, social and environmental crises were over there, someone else's problem. Now, breakdowns in one part of the world can rapidly spread to every other part, as we have learned all too well from the COVID-19 pandemic. There is no away anymore. In contrast to feedback loops that reinforce and amplify growth effects, thriving systems use balancing or cancelling feedback loops. Biodegradability or recyclability of materials is an example of a balancing feedback effect that allows the system to continually use materials without their accumulating and overwhelming or poisoning the system they are designed to serve. The key of creativity. There's something your parents never told you. Messiness is okay. In fact, 
it may even be good. As children, we are schooled in the virtues of being neat and tidy, ordering and classifying everything, and generally cleaning up. But nature is messy. Think of random trees, fallen leaves, skewed branches, tangled roots, unruly brambles, unsanctioned mushrooms. Yet there is order in the chaos. Natural systems have design principles and recurring patterns. But there is a lot of flexibility for experimentation, adaptation and diversity. We can apply the same lesson and let a bit of messiness back into our lives. It is true that we see order and structure everywhere in nature, but it is more emergent than deterministic. This means that nature allows for creativity and change. It does not prescribe every outcome, but rather creates the conditions for innovation. The failure to understand the emergent nature of life is one of the reasons why the centrally planned economies of communism failed and why many top-down hierarchical companies fail. Newton's image of a clockwork universe needs to be reimagined as an organic cosmos, since complexity theory shows that the patterns of life are not rigidly determined or hierarchically controlled. Rather, simple rules applied to complex, apparently chaotic systems allow order to emerge. The interactions themselves co-create the patterns. Where those interactions occur is also important. In living systems, most creativity happens on edges and boundaries. If you sometimes feel as if you're on the fringe, fear not, for fringes are fabulous places. Roadside fringes are where poppies bloom, and hedge fringes are where birds nest. It is on the fringes that change is catalyzed. In his theory of holism, Jan Smuts highlighted this principle by talking about fields, which are the, and I quote, natural shading off continuities, end quote, of holes, as opposed to something that encloses things or people in hard artificial boundaries. Metaphorically, the mainstream is like a neatly tended grass lawn, where everything and everyone unorthodox are regarded as invasive weeds. Yet even manicured gardens have their fringes where biodiversity thrives. So too in society, where activists, entrepreneurs and change-makers breathe new life into dysfunctional habitats and outdated ideas. If we want to transform our ecological, social and economic systems to be more innovative, creative and healthy, we need more people who will operate on the fringe and be proud to do so. The key of creativity is demonstrated by entrepreneurs who are like weeds, and I mean that in a positive way. First, like weeds, entrepreneurs are tough and tenacious. They never give up and often grow despite inhospitable conditions. Second, entrepreneurs are often scruffy and wild. They don't conform to the tidy, manicured and mowed business lawnscape. They live on the fringes of convention. Third, entrepreneurs bring colour and new life. In the same way that wildflowers are good for biodiversity and attract insects and birds, entrepreneurs are good for socio-economic life 
So let's celebrate our wonderful, weedy entrepreneurs. Like weeds, creative disruptors are seldom welcomed by the entrenched establishment. Our systems often lack creativity because we get stuck in the prison of convention. Another word for this prison is our dominant paradigm, from the Greek word for pattern. When Nicolaus Copernicus proposed his heliocentric hypothesis that the Earth revolves around the Sun, it helped to catalyze the scientific revolution. That's a great example of a paradigm shift. Nothing changed physically, but our world view was profoundly altered forever. This is the deepest and most difficult kind of change, to achieve a collective mind shift. And those in power, such as the church in Copernicus's time and corporate and political elites now, will always resist. We see this with one of the most important shifts happening today as we challenge the prevailing economic paradigm. Over the past 50 years, we constructed a global economic experiment by embracing an approach called neoliberalism or free market fundamentalism. Now the results are in, and the conclusion is this, it failed. Don't take my word for it, whether it's Klaus Schwab, founder of the World Economic Forum, or Pope Francis in his latest encyclical, more and more opinion makers are recognizing that an unregulated market has been good for the rich and powerful, but hardly anybody else. Conversely, stakeholder capitalism still embraces the market, but welcomes government regulation and civil society advocacy to ensure more fair, inclusive and sustainable outcomes. Such forces of creative destruction are essential for living systems to evolve and thrive, whether they are economies, societies, organizations, people, or ecosystems. Thriving happens when we catalyze creativity by having permeable boundaries, allowing time and space for exploration and overlap, and encouraging cross-disciplinary thinking and cross-functional collaboration. Well, that's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join me again next time when the story of thriving continues. Just a reminder that if you don't yet have your copy of Thriving, you can get it at any retailer as an ebook, an audiobook, or a hardback. You may also be interested in the Thriving podcast where I speak with uh, various thinkers and practitioners of thriving and regeneration. You can find that by searching on your favorite podcast platform for Thriving the Breakthrough Movement. And finally, you might be interested in becoming a thriving facilitator. If that sounds interesting to you, then do reach out and I can send you more information or you can find it on my website, wayneviser.com. That's it for now and we'll see you again next time. Hope you have a wonderful week. Mm -hmm.